Welcome back to Ad Source, a community conversation that gets to the origin of matters that affect us the most. I'm your host, Kieran Cook, and together we'll be diving into health and well-being, gaining useful insights direct from the source. Sonia Waters is a somatic sexologist and embodiment therapist who stepped away from a corporate career in architecture and construction to help people on their journey to reconnecting with their physical selves. From individual bodywork sessions to workshops and adventures, Sonia is passionate about living in the magic of every day and sharing tools for people to find their gold. She is certified with the Somatic Sex Educators Association of Australasia and currently doing her master's degree in psychology. In this episode, we cover the impact of our modern busyness problem on the body, the journey to understanding our physical selves and making space for communication. Welcome, Sonia, to the At Source podcast. It is fantastic to have you here in our new season. And I thought, look, to kick things off, it would be great to hear a bit more about how you help people because, look, this does seem to be relatively new terrain. And I don't know what, you know, I wouldn't be able to sort of encapsulate an embodiment therapist in one succinct sentence. So it would be great to hear from you, um, you know, just how you would describe it. I mean, obviously, there's lots of questions in the bag here today, but let's just kick off with that one. (laughs) So what is an embodiment therapist? So this is not the elevator pitch response. It's not one sentence. Okay. (laughs) I mean, first off, you could say it's being in the body. And then you go, okay, well, what does being in the body mean? And in the white Western way of thinking, the field of science, all of that has severed the head from the body. And we spend 90% of the time in our heads, while 90% of our living is in the body right? So actually embodiment is about being in both, wiring both together. It's about the physical body, the emotional body, the spiritual body, the digestive body, the intuitive body, like all of that. And all of that is the living processes, which is a, which is called the soma. So when we're dead, we have a bunch of bones and muscles and tissues, but there's no life, there's no soma. And so somatic therapy, embodiment, they're sort of interchangeable ideas in a sense, um, but it's, it's certainly the being in your body, noticing sensations, being aware of emotions, allowing and accepting and working with that. Mm, that's a good answer. <laughs> you know, I was going to, uh, it just does, helps me because I was going to sort of segue into that next question, which was, you okay. know, what is the difference between a somatic sexologist as opposed to, you know, when I say just, but just, you know, a, a sort of more conventional sexologist? Uh, a conventional sexologist would be more looking at the, physiology, the um, anatomy, the scientific functionality and counselling and relationship stuff, less about, or, or not less, but this is more specific about the felt sense in the body, being the guide to the work or the therapy, if you like, um, the journey of change that we're after. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was just thinking back to your comment about, you know, us living more in our heads than in our bodies. And I was really interested in that. 
because I sort of feel like we run around more in that physical domain, you know, a bit thoughtless and very much sort of in that um, clunky physical domain as opposed to being in that thoughtful domain. And so you've sort of suggested the antithesis of that. Um, can you sort of tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, well, I'm trying, I'm, I'm not separating the two. Let's weave the two together. The brain and the body, they don't function independently of each other. They mm. are woven together. Let's find the pathways between. Well, let's not discard the thinking body. Let's not discard the physical body and incorporate all of the emotions and the intuition and the mm. digestion and the nervous system and actually work with it as work, work with our humans as whole pieces, not yeah. separate parts. Yeah. So, and yes, learning it is clunky. You use that word, and and that's actually something we use in the in the work. It's like, yeah, it's kind of we're not used to that. We're used to just think, 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 go, go, go. And how many people say oh, I need to get out of my bed, head, and feel it? It's like, yeah, exactly. And that takes practice. We need mm. to get out of our heads and feel it, even mm. when we are thinking. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, even meditations like that, I mean, you still have mm. to be able to slow down and, you know, get out of your head enough to be able to get to another place, but breathe and be able to be connected to your body, yeah, mm. to be able mm. to slow down, but yet have that connection and yeah. to be able to go to another place enough to be able to get into another state. And so I think you have touched on something there about being sort of rounded enough to be able to, you know, embrace the wholeness um, in that moment? Yes, and meditation, some people find meditation a difficult concept, a different thing to do. <laughs> um, and actually embodiment is almost, is very similar, and yet it is it gives us the body to focus on as opposed to clear thoughts, spaciousness. It's coming mm. into the body and actively seeking sensations. And so some people find that actually a really useful way, a really useful pathway to meditation because it gives their head something to do, <laughs> something to focus on um, and pay attention to. But are you talking are you talking about sex specifically in and around that? Something sensory? So sex is another conversation. So we talk about embodiment therapy, embodiment, embodied counselling, all the terms that we can speak to. Some people want embodied counselling to deal with their stuff. Some people yeah. come to me with sexual questions, intimate relating okay. questions. And so that might involve some embodiment counselling and some somatic sexology it's all just terms for okay. modalities that say, actually, let's be in the body, see what you can feel and grow that. There is nothing yeah. wrong. There's nothing broken. There's nothing to be fixed. Let's make what we've got better. So the holistic approach, I, I don't look at one uh, client with one problem in one way. We might do a touch of somatic work we will do a lot of embodiment work we will talk a bit more or less depending on the client and so they come with this problem or thing that they'd like to change 
and it's it's a holistic let's step back let's not look at the spotlight on this thing because that's hard to see let's look at the light around the candle and see what can grow from this my question here is that if you don't tackle some of those mental state issues like depression or anxiety or some of those more categorical mental health states, then Mm. you're just kind of band-aiding or masking some of the issues, I think. No. So often people will be working with psychologists and counsellors on those specific issues. Okay. So often there'll be alternate weeks with a client who sees right. the psychologist, alternate okay. weeks with me who sees the, the somatic sensory yeah. focus. Yeah. And together the two therapies work really well. Mm. Sometimes they've done yeah. five years with a psychologist and they go, mm. actually, I still can't orgasm. <laughs> yeah, And so then it's like, okay, let's explore what's in the body. Okay, mm. there's scar tissue from a C-section. Let's unravel that. Let's focus on the sensations that you have. Let's do some movement and see what's felt in the body. What tears want to come up? There are always tears. Mm. There are always tears. How do we breathe so that we can expand and feel? Often we're numb. And so actually wiring to the sensations Mm. is a big step for people actually getting past issues of shame and taboo and Mm. giving people permission to feel, permission to be heard. And um, in a lot of the talk therapy spaces, talking about sex is not an easy thing to do. And so Mm. even talking about sex, people come to me to do because they weren't mm. able to open up with their counsellor or psychologist or mm. doctor. I think women are pretty good about about talking about sex, though. Women in general. Women peer-to-peer yeah. are pretty good yeah. at talking about sex. Yeah. I don't know that guys do a lot of it, but I, I've I certainly think they found ageing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the guys will over a beer with the banter and the stories. It's not. Yeah, it's usually BS. Necessarily, though, right? <laughs> it's usually <real>. BS. <laughs> it's not necessarily real. No, but I think so, I have found that you know, getting older, that women get pretty real, and there's something about women getting around a campfire, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. honesty as women age around that sort of stuff, and mm-hmm. um, I think that's been pretty good. Um, I'm 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 interested, and you've you know you've explained that really nicely. Thank you for that. Um, in terms of just sort of yourself, I'm just interested because you know in this particular season we've got a special focus on authenticity and just living life to the fullest. And I loved mm. reading your bio on the website about how you've you know had a pretty normal life like most of us, <laughs> sort of had had the career. I can see that you had a, had a background in architecture and construction, and you lived in Welly. And you were married and you raised a family um, and then things went um, a little downhill like most of us. <laughs> and uh, your daughter said when you went down to Monica for a ski trip, hey, why don't you live down here? Because you obviously had an affinity with the place and you must have loved the mountains and mm. the way of life down there. And so you, you moved down there. But you've obviously, you know, had a huge transition like leaving corporate life, right, and um, transitioning to the work that you did. And 
that's I've sort of summarised that and wrapped that up very quickly. But you know, that's a massive journey. I, I'm just curious why you chose the work that you do, you have chosen. I mean, you could have done anything. Why this work? Because it's what helped me most. Ah, okay. And in in that journey, as you say, from the corporate to this country, um, I was, uh, and and my relationship with the girl's father ended when they were little, and I went through a number of relationships, and they were so exciting in the beginning. Mm. They were so going to be forever, and then somehow things died and I left. And I was the common denominator in each one of those. And I'm like, what the heck? (laughs) Anyway, I started exploring myself and understanding me in that shamanic world, the spiritual world, the sexual world, the witchy world, the any world that I could sort of get into, I did. Um, And... And the sexological part was really informative because actually I wanted to connect with my partner. I wanted it to, I wanted that connection to be real and pleasurable. And as I learned more about it, I learned I could ask for what I want and then I could learn to know what I want. And then what I wanted changed and what I experienced changed and what I felt went deeper and, uh, you know, and and my whole sexual being grew, if you like. And that helped in my intimate relating. And in my mid-50s, I'm like, yeah, I've got another chapter to live. What's it going to be? Actually, this was useful to me. Let's share it with others. Mm. And, And it's such a taboo subject that... Um, in my, you know, in my white, privileged, normal kind of life, we didn't talk about it. And Yeah, I was, was going to ask you, though, did you come from a religious family or any kind no. of... No, no, no. It wasn't no. like you came out of anything particularly repressed or anything? No, uh, no, but it just wasn't normal to talk about and... Mm. Um, And that's okay. I reinforced it too. It was just the life I lived. But then I realised there was another life that I could live. Um, Mm. What do your family think? Your family and your kids and your mum and dad? Oh, my kids are good. They, they, um, they welcome, when they were younger, they just put their fingers in their ears and la, 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 I don't want to hear it, mum, I'll Google it. (laughs) I don't want to hear anything. um, But now they're in their 20s and, and they, they don't reject the they question occasionally, but you know that they're, they're okay. okay. My family, it's a different story. At times, yeah. I have good yeah. conversations, and at times, it's like, yeah, no, we don't need to go there. <laughs> yeah, I mm. mean, it's sort of like it's interesting because you know it could be a polarizing thing, and I sort of get it. It can be, you know, mm-hmm. it, yeah, totally because of mm. that taboo that you're talking about, and you're so yeah. open, and and you know, I mean, it's. It's obviously um, has sort of, you know, somatic sex education, if you like. You, you're you going to be taking an educational um, perspective of it. It's, you're not selling sexual services. Um, no. Let's talk about the background of somatic sexology because I, from what I understand, it's relatively new. It was birthed in the 1980s, right? 
It came yeah. out of, I think, mm-hmm. California. Is that is that correct? It was an American movement? Pretty much. It, it, was, was a res- it was a response to the AIDS virus. Yes, that's what I'd heard. Yeah. yeah. So and it was all about healing primarily well, in it response was also, to the AIDS movement. Yes, it was. But it was also so that people could feel pleasure, have intimacy without penetrative sex. Hmm and actually exploring mm. the body through the felt sense, exploring what you can feel in your hands, your face, your everything that you have other than your genitals mm. <laughs> or as well as genitals, but they don't have to be inside each other and all those yeah. sort of things that okay. people were trying to avoid with, with AIDS. Ah, yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about the authentic self because in a way that's what you're talking about. So, you know, we're living in an age where being our authentic self is really difficult. Um, you know, we're constantly, you know, barraged with images that perpetuate what desire looks like, what normal looks like. Mm. Um, I'm interested in, in, you know, people that come to you, you know, are they sort of navigated around how their body should, you know, should be, look like, how it should perform without having that sort of deeper understanding around around their bodies you know are, are mm. they sort of wrestling with perceptions and constraints mm. yeah totally totally okay and and our our intimate worlds are so entwined so socially constructed mm. constructed by what we see on media social media we you know share with our friends uh be that real or not real um constructed by our family, our upbringing, our religion, our education, our prior experiences. And so the way intimacy looks to people varies, Mm. but is notoriously greater than real. (laughs) You know, especially when we look at the porn world. And and porn has um, some great, you know, people love porn. Porn's fun. I don't bag that at all. We can have too much of it. And we can, uh, especially when we're young, watching porn and going, oh, that's what it's like. No, it's not what it's like. It's, it's you know, medicated, it's practised, it's rehearsed, it's lubricated, it's all the things that you're not going to do in your encounter this evening, <laughs> this yeah. scenario right yeah. now. Do yeah. not think that that's real, and I yeah. think that's a real problem. I um, don't. I don't think porn is even necessarily uh, an issue for young people. You know, I don't know what your thoughts are, but the things that I hear these days is that it's actually, you know, particularly for older men, quite quite popular. <laughs> you know, as older men sort of perform less, they get they almost have a return to porn. Yeah, I think it can be problematic when you're young. It can be problematic in relationships where one loves porn and the other doesn't, so it becomes a mm. hidden thing. Mm. Um, and it can be really useful for when people find that they, you know, don't have the functionality that they used to have and it's a, and it's a stimulant for them and yeah. that can be really useful. You know, it's all things in moderation, isn't it? Mm. And when we become reliant on one thing, tool (laughs) like porn being a tool um when we become reliant on one thing it can be problematic yeah 
Yeah. Mm. So are you finding that there's an increasing issue with porn and the work that you're doing? Just with the internet and, you know, access to pretty much anything and everything? I haven't been in the game long enough to say it's an increasing issue. I think it's an issue. Whether it's increasing okay. or not, I, I, yeah. I think it's probably yeah. changing. And I think that as people get older, they recognise that it's become problematic. And so mm-hmm. young people are not coming to me with porn issues. Okay. Older people are. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's as they kind of go, oh, I've, I've got an issue with this. This is problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just from what I'm hearing, it seems mm-hmm. to be more of an issue with older men um, being more reliant on it than anything else. And that's just what I'm, that's sort of yeah. something that I'm circulating and what yeah. I'm sort of, what I'm hearing. And some um, of my clients are older women as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Um, so uh, in, in terms of sort of your work in New Zealand, how many um, how many sort of somatic sexologists are there in New Zealand doing the work that you're doing? So, so sort of on my hand, five? Yeah. Um, and, and so when I say somatic sexologists, those are the, the people who have trained in the Institute of Somatic yes. Sexology in Australia where I've trained. Yes. Um, there's five each year, a couple more come out, okay. not necessarily registering as practitioners. So it's kind of hard to tell. And really everyone has such a different flavour has such a different mm. take on what they do. Um, you know, for example, Talia Brand, who I've trained with and worked with, and her focus is very on the voice. She's an ex-opera singer, so she's very mm. voice-oriented and and the ventral vagus nervous system, and, you know, um, she does wonderful work. There are other people who are, uh, yeah, work with women only or, you know, so everyone... Yeah comes with their own flavour of it. Mm. Uh, That's really interesting, yeah. Yeah. We'd like to take a short break to thank NatureBee, who are powering this season of AdSource. You can find out more about health and wellness from the hive by visiting www.naturebee.com. If you're enjoying this episode, please make sure to like, review and follow AdSource. Okay, and... Mm. And can I talk to you, you know, because I'm just thinking about this very important notion of consent. Mm, yeah. So um, from what I understand, um, consent is always up front. And do you sort of document what you what you do with a client up front beforehand? Is there any sort of signing? I mean, I'm just sort of thinking, what, what if things go horribly wrong? Oh, what happens? And- in this, and and, in the and, and work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's so consent is a is a broad topic. So you're asking, I think, about consent in the work that I do with clients. That's right. The studio. That's right. Yes. So I have an intake form. I have a bunch of questions. What do they want to work on? Uh, and I have this is the these are the ethical conditions that I'm working within. Um, this is the kind of work that I do and how it happens and uh, so they give their consent in that process when they sign up. Um, and then in the sessions, one of the first things that we coach on is is the felt sense of yes and no and actually understanding what consent feels like 
Because you can come up to someone in the street and say, would you like a hug? Well, most people don't even ask. But so would you like a hug is a really interesting piece because we're almost conditioned to say yes all the time. Actually, sometimes, no, I don't want a hug. And so saying no gives meaning to the yes. And so that's one of the first places that we start. And so understanding what consent feels like. And then... As I said before, the the sessions are very client-led and I will come up with some ideas of what we might want to work on. And they could choose or they could say no to that or no to anything. They could walk out if they like. They could. um, Yeah. And so consent is ongoing throughout the Mm. session. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, throughout that session, you're always checking in with a client to see that they're yeah. consenting. Yeah. Yeah. But And I can feel d- it. You know, okay. some people will say yes to doing something. And I'm like, mm, I'm not sure. So it's my consent as well. Oh, and, yeah. and so we're always feeding into each other and understanding where we're both at. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I so guess for the kind of structure of things um I then write a report at the end of each session and so I will email them what we did what we talked about what your practice is going to be going forward so they end up Mm. with that email chain I end up with a record I have worked with ACC clients for example on sensitive claims and so record keeping is vital yeah yeah that's a good point actually and I noticed that you do zoom consults as well so how would that be different or how does that work for you because you talk obviously about the physical self and embodiment and the body so how I mean obviously with this distance say between you and I right now how Mm. would that actually work for a zoom zoom is interesting and it has benefits in some spaces so for people Mm. with trauma for example coming to a studio driving there navigating get it it's stressful you come in the door actually zoom is a safe place they can be in their own bedrooms so for a start there's some safety in zoom that um you can't get when you're in person Mm. and it has its limitations um because Mm. um you know, that you do gain something from being in person. Hmm. But if we go back to Zoom, actually a lot of work I do is with couples. And so I'm just facilitating their relating. And so they can be off screen or I see heads or, you know, like people can manage their boundaries. So we're back to consent and boundaries. They Hmm. can manage their space much better by Zoom. So actually my clients are around the world um, uh, and for that reason Zoom actually works quite well. Mm. But then for some, just some people prefer to work in person. In person, but that would mean that you'd only be working with a smaller group of people that are kind of like, you know, more locally based. Yeah, people also like coming to Wanaka for a holiday and spending a long weekend and doing couples intensives. Mm. I was going to, um, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about modern busyness and stress um, Mm. because, you know, often we just ignore sort of how the, you know, the impact of stress and what busyness can do 
you know, on our bodies. And I just wondered sort of whether you see a lot of stress and just the effects of trauma on the body. Does that just take a lot longer to kind of work through and take a while for you to identify that? Um, you know, does that add another layer? Yes. Uh, there's quite a bit, there's quite a lot in what you just said there. So there's busyness, mm. there's stress, and there's trauma. And so mm. let's approach busyness first. And I think that we need to look at our lives and actually go, is this the life I want to lead? And and if it's if it's good, then great. If it's not, let's adjust something and keep tweaking small changes. So busyness is a piece that um, sometimes we need to just live with. And so in the in the embodiment work that I do, the practices that people take home must not add to the to-do list. Mm. It's about finding practices that we can do in every day, in every moment, to come back into our bodies, to be present, um, to manage our nervous system, to communicate clearly with people, connect with others, uh, to have our intimate lives with our partners if that's the way our lives are, to experience our pleasures, to find the joy moments. It's in the micro moments. And so we weave these things into daily life. So busyness, yes, we need to look at our lives and say, is this good? And when we're doing therapy, we need to not add to the burden of busyness. Stress comes from busyness and lots of other things. Um, and it manifests in the body in like gut issues and anxiety Headaches. and yeah. All yeah. sorts of things. And they're connected to the pelvis, which is connected to our sexuality, which is connected to our orgasmicity. And all. so they're, everything's wired together. And then there's trauma. And and so trauma, as you, I'm sure, know, the whole, there's big T and little T. And, and we need to be a bit careful about how we use the word trauma because for those who have suffered sexual abuse, war zones, that big T stuff is um, can be undermined by overuse of the word, and so recognizing mm. that that is is big, and it you asked if it takes a while for me to see or work with, and mm. often people know it 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 comes it manifests itself in the body quite loudly or quietly, but you can feel mm. it. Because some people aren't um, really necessarily upfront, are they, either, about that trauma? No, piece, right? and they might be coming to the sessions saying, actually, why can't I orgasm? And when we dig back a little bit and unravel some stories, there's there's pieces there that we can actually start to acknowledge, notice, feel, and manage our way through. And so we're never actually just dealing with trauma we're working to manage it it's and and to, we're working to be present and to grow what's present yeah, that's um, right yeah you answered and, that really well because you're right it was a big question <laughs> <laughs> well I was going to say also and there is also the little t and so the little trauma we all experience little trauma from time to times in our lives and they too need to be worked through and um seen and 
Sometimes mm. they disappear and recur. You know, everyone's different. Mm. That's right. Yeah, no, that's right. So you do a lot of work that involves people sort of consciously living in their skin. You know, have we sort of become, do you sort of find that we've become disconnected to some of our senses like, you know, breath and touch? And, you know, following on from that, I'm interested just to hear a little bit more about sensate focus as well. Mm-hmm. So, yes, the the answer to that is just a great big capitals, yes. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, and that, that the breath and the touch and the sensate focus, that is the work. That is mm. where we are coming from as somatic therapists or embodiment, whatever we want to call ourselves. This field of work is about breathing. Um, and, you know, breath is... is a fascinating function in the body. It's autonomic. It's the one organ, our lungs, our breathing capacity is the one organ that operates whether we're conscious or not. Um, And it's the one that we can control consciously. And so in that sense, we have access to, through our breath, to our nervous system, to our heart rate, to our digestive system, to um, mm. our expression and being in, on the planet through breath. Mm. So it's a really fundamental piece. Touch. Touch is one of those tools that brings us into our body. doesn't matter where we are and what we're doing. It's a really good um, place to just remind ourselves that we're here. It's a great source of pleasure. It's a great way of communicating with our words, with our intimate partners, Um so yeah, breath, touch, and and you said what's the sensate focus? Mm. So I guess that's where I started this call really in emphasizing it is about what sensations do you notice in your body right now? And and how if we sit with that, how does it feel? How does it change? Being curious about that and adding breath to that, adding touch to that, what happens now. And actually what happens now can be tears or it can be, oh, I want more of that, or it can be a no, don't do that. So it's through the sensate focus that we are embodied and that we then work from and live life from and discover pleasure and discover joy and Mm. communicate from. So you've got to be kind of arrested and be committed to having quite a, a level of consciousness to be able to have that, um, I guess, that uh, degree of awareness, right, what you're, what you're trying to achieve here with clients. I mean, there's, there's got to be, someone's got to be able to go, hey, stop the bus, you know, I need to, I need to be able to feel all these things and I need to be able to take some time out to be able to, uh, you know, do some work on myself. So I guess where I'm going with this is there's sort of like if we're all living in this sort of world of overwhelm. So well, just, how do we sort of get that connected? I want to say there that it's not a job. It's not, it's not an added thing. We can drop into the feeling of our body at every single moment. You and I are in our bodies communicating through this screen. I can feel the depth of my voice. I can feel my ass on the seat, the feet on the floor. That's all it takes. Mm -hmm. 
a pause every now and then to kind of go, oh, yes. what can I feel? This is not like a big job that we have to overlay. As I said, we're not adding to the to-do list. Yeah. This is just finding a new way of being in okay. our skin. Yeah. Yeah. It's not hard work. Mm. <laughs> no. And it should be fun work. Like it, we're seeking pleasure, right? So, yeah. you know, what's your practice this week? Oh, let's go and explore all the parts of my body with feathery touch. Every day, I'm going to do some feathery touch on some part of my skin and I'm going to feel what that feels like. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I think somebody else said that to me that I interviewed last week on a podcast. Somebody said it's not meant to be hard work. (laughs) So you're the second person that said to me, it's not meant to be hard work. So, okay, noted. Noted. It's not hard work. It's simple stuff. And I do do get where where you're coming from. And I think one of the pieces is slow the... Dot, 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 down. Slow <laughs> the fuck down. <laughs> we do swear on here occasionally. <laughs> I don't really yeah. swear much. But, yeah, slow the fuck down is one yeah. of the biggest messages. Breathe, mm. notice, and slow down. Mm. Mm, that's right. And I think that's that modern problem of overwhelm can sometimes sabotage us from, so, you mm. know, as you say, my ass is on the chair. I can feel that. That's sort of a mm. simple thing. It's not, doesn't have to go on the heavy sort of to-do list, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I noticed that you wrote a book and it, you can download it and read it and share it, which is, is great. And it's called Magic in the Mire. And you wrote that book, which was really about your own journey, um, really just to help others. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talk a little bit about um, having suffered depression and mm-hmm. you're at the bottom there and mm-hmm. what that felt like for yourself. Yeah. Um, what was that process like? Was it sort of cathartic or how, how did it feel just in the writing? In the writing? I'm not a writer, okay? <laughs> I'm a, I draw, I paint, I do pottery. <laughs> mm. I'm a hands-on person, so writing. Yes, I get that. Was I understand hard. I'm a bit the same. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So learning to write was was part of the challenge. But mm. actually, you're right. There was a cathartic kind of element to just putting it down. And at the time, mm. um, I was sort of in a space of little T, if you like, and and mm. the depression and things were earlier in my life. I'd been through a lot, changed my life, and then boom, the rug was up from my, under my feet again. So I was like, okay, I've got the tools. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Let's yeah. work them and write them. And so that's how the book came about. It's okay. a little book with a bunch of things to do, which is useful to me and useful to clients as a starting point. Yeah, actionable um, stuff. Yeah, yeah, practical, grounded, down-to-earth, doable things. Mm. How long did it take to write? Uh, six months or so. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's not long, That's not that long at all. No. And so. So. Yeah. That's. That's great. And did you pub? I didn't actually check where it was published. Did you publish no, it's in New self, Zealand? No. It's self-published. Oh, you self-published. It's really okay. little. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's just great that you know it's there mm. online and it's just easy to access. Yeah. I was going to ask you know, um, just speaking about actionable, whether there was sort of one actionable piece of advice you could share with people who are just sort of a bit more interested, you know, I use that word connected and becoming a bit more connected with themselves. You know, how would someone say start on that journey? Hmm. Big question, isn't it? Oh, it's such a big well, question. <laughs> I'm doing it and you can't see what, on the listeners can't see what I'm doing. So I'm breathing, I'm making sound and I'm wriggling in my seat. 
right? Mm. So I would say one actionable piece for people is breathe and feel. And so one little piece of information, if it, it might be of interest, is that on every breath we take, on every exhale, our heart beats slightly more slowly. So if we spend more time on the exhale, we can slow our heart rate down, we drop into our nervous system. If we even make sound on the exhale, we can activate our ventral vagus nerve. So running into too much information there now, but just <laughs> on the exhale, our heart slows down. So with that in mind, I wonder, would it be useful to do a little wee practice that involves one person, two hands and three breaths? Okay. Should we do it You're now? talking to somebody who like constantly like hyperventilates, so we'll, we'll give it a go. <laughs> we might take more than three breaths, but, you know, one, two, three was well, kind of nice run. Well, I'm hyperventilating if I've got 30 to your three, so <laughs> <laughs> let's go. So let's do it. So, so let's just breathe with a really long exhale. We'll start with that. Okay. Inhale through the nose. Mm-hmm. <sighs> exhale. And now bring your two hands up to face each other not touching. So bring them apart and breathe and slowly bring them together until you can feel the space between them. Like there's a moment where maybe it's the heat, maybe it's a magnetism, you're still breathing, bounce that space between your hands, feel that space. Take another long, slow exhale and slowly bring your fingers of one hand to touch the other. Slowly touch your hand and notice the sensations of that touch. And the last breath. And bring that to a close. And I wonder, what did you notice in your body, Karen? Hmm. I was just much more aware of what that felt like, that, that delicate touch on the hand. Yeah. 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 And I normally spend a lot more than that amount of time on it. But, you know, people have looked at their hands and go, I didn't even know I had those fingerprints or that texture or that sensation mm. in my hands. Mm. Um, and for women, it's really powerful. For men, it's really powerful. Like tradies, hammering using the hands I think it's day. slowing it down. I think that's yeah. what it is. Because, yeah. you know, we, we all touch our hands, but we do it quickly. They're quick, usually not light touch movements. Noticing, breathing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah. and the lightness of touch. Yeah, that's right. One piece, breathe and yeah. feel. That's been, that's really good, really. And it's simple stuff. You don't need a master's degree necessarily to get on top of that, <laughs> but, uh, which is great because that's what we need. We need simple yep. tools. I was just yep. going to ask you just two more questions before we close today. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just interested in your master's um, degree because I know you're doing, are you doing that long distance with Massey? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So um, are you nearly through it? How's that going? Uh, I'm in my second year. Uh, I will be finished by November this year. Fantastic. And are you finding that it's just just great, like aligning really well with the work that you're doing? Well, because this this year is research, it is my my thesis. Ah. And, and so I'm studying embodied self-pleasure and what people feel or how they experience masturbation 
in an mm. embodied way. Mm-hmm. So when we regularly practice and have permission and we're practicing embodied self-pleasure, ESP, what's it like? What happens? Mm. Mm. And um, some of the findings are, are fascinating already. Um, I'm speaking at the conference in May, the psychologist conference, and, you know, initial, it's a it's a qualitative study, so people's stories are being heard and really it's about permission is a really big one permission to feel yeah um and and the subtle it's the art of the subtle and listening to the subtle sensations in the body that really allows people to expand and find joy and feel that aliveness um so yeah so are you you interviewing people for this one when you say it's qualitative yeah, yeah yeah is it hard finding people who'd want to talk about that not at all. Okay. <laughs> I just wondered whether people would shy away and run for the hills or whether no. people are actually quite happy to go there. No, well, I'm working with um, the trainee sexological body workers. So they oh. have been taught embodied self-pleasure independent of me. Yeah. I'm yeah. coming in and saying, how was that for you? And they're, they're loving it. Okay. Oh, that's, yeah. that's actually great because, mm. I mean, you, you need that um, real life yeah. stuff, obviously, to... Um, get stuck into, right, to bring Mm. your research to life. That's um, really interesting. And my last question circles also back round to you. Mm -hmm. So you talked about um, your sort of life journey and I'm just, this is a curious question. Have Mm. you found peace and happiness? Because obviously (laughs) you talked about, you talked about, um, I actually sort of thought, well, you're leaving these relationships, you're a game changer. Hey, that's okay. Um, (laughs) So now that you've come full circle and you talk about the light around the flame through this journey, have you actually personally found happiness? Oh, yeah. Have you found yes. Have you found a fabulous, significant other that you don't want to yes, run for the hills? I have that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really I have really good sex, really good intimate <laughs> relationship. Awesome. <laughs> really good time in the hills here in Monica. Um, oh, it's awesome. I'm so and, pleased. <laughs> and and life also has its stresses and its turmoils, yeah. and you know, yeah. of course, um, yeah, life is. It wouldn't be life living is life. if it didn't yeah. have its pressure. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's great, but life is but life is good. Life is good. It yeah. is good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, it's I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been fantastic. <laughs> and you too, <laughs> Karen. Wanted to say thanks so much for your time and your patience. And obviously, this is a uh, new terrain for a lot of people like me. And, yeah. Well, I um, think it's you know, it's a good time it. to be talking about it. Yeah, um, I agree. And, yep. and I just wanted to put one little thought yeah. in there is sure. Indigenous psychologies, Indigenous cultures have this sorted already. Really? As the white Western mm. world, this has come in and broken that connection between mind, body, land, spirit. Mm. And, you know, if we can look to the Māori people in restructuring our health system right now, actually to be led by this, and to listen to this and help structure our organisations around the felt sense, the embodied sense, the Indigenous cultures, what we can learn from them is all really useful stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's mm. a fantastic finishing, a mm. finisher-upper. That's a good finishing mm. end point. Yeah, cool. I didn't know that, so it's great. Mm. All um, right, well, thank you very much, Sonia. Um, lovely we'll talking, be in touch. Karen. Lovely yep. talking to you too. Thank you okay. very much. 
Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation and stay tuned for more episodes. Please rate, review and subscribe. Check out the show notes if you'd like to contact this episode's interviewee. The advice shared in this podcast exists purely for information purposes and should not be relied upon to make a health and wellness decision. We recommend you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your personal health and well-being. AtSource does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions.